This is Aliens and Artists, Episode 6, Part 2 of our conversation with Vanessa Lamorte. I'm your host, Stuart Davis. Vanessa, what about you being an artist is important in relationship to you being a contactee? Are the two incidental or are they synergistic? What interest do non-human entities take in your artistry? Yeah, um, well, I I studied music for a very long time. Age six, started piano and up, you know, just up through my teens, my 20s. And so music has always been very, very uh, important for me. And so looking at that, and then looking at like the earliest experience I shared with Andromedan beings, um, I, I came to know later that Andromedan beings are um, sound healers, sound healers of the, the cosmic landscape, and that they share a lot of wisdom from that. And I'm like, this makes complete sense that music, oh, music has always been there for me. And then my very early experiences with Andromedans and sound healing makes make sense. Um, I think that for my art, um, both like as far as visual medium, the only really visual mediums that I work with are um, light language um, codes or, um, you know, just what is the word I'm looking for? Yeah. Just, just codes and like drawings or mandalas um, by hand, like on, on paper and and markers and things like that. Um, And then the rest is music for me. And then my healing work, we could even consider that, you know, as a form of artistry and all of it, it, all of it is integral to my experiences with different beings. I could attribute a lot of my sound healing and music voice work to Andromedans and Syrian people. Um, The Mantis people taught me different techniques around energy work, how to see different codes in the body and how that might translate to a written white language code. All of my work actually has to do with the cosmic landscape. So when I saw that question, um, when I was feeling into that question, I was like, yeah, this is, I don't know. I don't even know which part specifically to speak to because it's like me and my, my work, my healing work, artistry, it, it is, is one and with beings and the cosmic, cosmic landscape and otherworldly ideas. And I think that's part of, part of the teaching, part of the healing around all of it. When a mantis entity for instance, is cultivating new healing technologies with you, involving sound, involving music. Can you describe what your experience is like when that type of learning is underway? Yeah, so they have shown me, like, in my, in my clairvoyant vision, um, like holographic overlay symbols and... I'm specifically recalling like the first experience. Um, and then, and then since then, like, this is kind of like how they will, might come in and talk to me, but like holographic overlay. Um, the first time I saw it, it looked like all these different variations of concentric circles. So imagining like a larger ring and then a medium sized ring and then a small sized ring and then, like a mini tiny ring. And, and that's kind of like a symbol for, for sound anyway like going one direction in space, maybe let's say left to right from big to, to really tiny. And then they might bring in some other type of hologram that overlays that, doing, doing that. And sometimes it looks like these concentric circles. Sometimes it looks like 
little glyphs or um, alphabetic characters from other languages, perhaps Mantis language. So they brought in all these different holographic overlays. And at first I was like, what do I do with this? I was actually working on a client, uh, a Reiki client, and they showed me to like lay it into the fields. And when I did that, all this energy released and it was like amazing. Um, and then I, I, it was almost like the holographic overlays were the visual representation of sound. And then I heard all of these frequencies. So there's this play between inaudible frequency and an audible frequency and holograms and space. And yeah, I feel like that's that I've learned so much through that and um, how to work with, work with sound, work with healing, but, and how to translate like the, like what I'm seeing onto like paper in the two dimensional way. Did you see a change in the efficacy of your healing work when you introduced these new acquired methodologies? Did something noteworthy change in the outcome? 100%. I feel like, well, in that moment when I did that, the person was like, like just this huge release and then just crying. And I was like, whoa, like, and, and, and I was really trusting like this being feels really, really highly benevolent. I do a lot of like, uh, work like I only wish for the experience to be in the highest and best good of all and a lot of preliminary cleaning work before I even get to a session so it's not like it was just like open and all these random beings were just like flying in or something like that and this mantis mantis healer mantis elder really is how I would term it Man, mantis elder healer came in and showed me that and and then from that point on gosh I mean I feel like the work just was so much more I understood the work like the way that the work was moving better and it looked like people were receiving the healings in a deeper way and it it just wormholed from there like Mm. okay well you can take this and you can take this and, and use it here and you know just how things kind of roll into one another that seems like an answer to the why question improved healing from new skills obtained via non-human intelligences. And how long ago was that? That was 2015. Yeah, five years ago. So five years of observing results. How did this change things for you? Yeah, it it took my understanding of energy healing and yeah, it took my understanding of energy healing from an elementary view to like collegiate level. That's how I would describe it. Mm, I love that. You brought up discernment when you were saying it's not like I throw the door open and whatever entity wants to come in can and whatever entity wants to come through can this is another fulcrum of learning for a lot of experiencers let's use the three simple stages idea again stage one of contact is a honeymoon period where we realize oh my god we're not alone you know this is really an intoxicating surprise And then stage two is realizing, oh, well, it's a lot more complicated than I thought. Some of these beings might not be what they appear to be. Some beings don't have benevolent agendas. And then stage three is, well, what do I do about it? How do we put up barriers and boundaries so that only the ones whose intentions are love and healing are the ones that we work with? Can you describe for us cultivating that discernment? When did it start and what are your practices to ensure it? 
<laughs> well, you use the word honeymoon. It truly was like that, you know, for, like I said, in my early 20s, it was like everything just kind of popped off. There was a lot happening, a lot of learning. And it was very much like that, like, okay, who are you? And, and who are you? And, and who are you? And I'm just going to interact. And this is really exciting, but also kind of terrifying because I don't know what's exactly happening. But just like, it, I would describe it as like flirtatious, like flirtatious uh, energy around all of these beings. They want to talk to me. Oh, cool. Da, da, da. But I think that we need to go through this. And then understanding like, okay, hold on. We need some discernment. Uh, it's not to be judgmental. It's not to be to be closed off, but okay. I, I, I can't, my energetically, I don't have the capacity to do all of this. And I don't really want to just have my door open to like any energy or entity being similar to like, I don't really want to be friends with everyone in the world. There's, you know, I want to be a friend to everyone, but I, I can't really mm-hmm. um, hold space for that. You know, it's like, there's a lot. Um, or similar to you wouldn't just leave your door open and just let strangers just like come through. Um, maybe, maybe you would, I don't know, but, um, I would not. Okay. <laughs> you know, it, I, I, you know, I just, there's that level of discernment that I think comes in to be able to hold, hold one's energy and to stay clear and to stay grounded or centered. So yeah, that comes in. And I feel like, ah, if, if, I think that, that as far as like practices, like an energetic hygiene, a lot of it is the mind and it is intention. I feel like everything is intention. Anything that any practice that you have, what your intention is and what you bring to that practice is, is everything. So I could smudge with sage and smudge, 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 but it wasn't really going to, I mean, it, it was doing things, but I feel like it deepened when I was like, okay, I have to hold this intention. So working with different um, cleansing, like smokes and plants and crystals, I think really was like the foundations for that. And then deepening in my energy work and using like working with Reiki or other frequencies that I learned from other beings. Like I can call in mantis people to clear a space or to, to clean it up. They're really great at that. So, okay, I call upon the highest, most benevolent, mantis elders mantis healers mantis beings that was like you know like a a command that i I would use a lot and welcome the space for these cleaners essentially before i would open the space for a client or even my own healing and wow like it, it, it makes the healing i think a lot more dynamic for sure but it's not just about us and it's i as a healer i don't think it's ever just about the healer it's a very egocentric, perhaps even narcissistic view, but it's being a conduit for something to take place, holding space for someone to awaken to themselves. And in the process, I feel like there is a lot of support that we can receive. It's just about asking. So that's kind of the evolution that it's taken is like, okay, what tools? Well, I can work with cleansing smokes or smudges. I can work with crystals, my intention, of course, but then what about all of these other energy techniques that I can work with it's something it's something different every time too like I, I let I let it be really creative and free flow I feel like that's also part of my artistry is uh, being a magician in that way so this is a two-parter first can you describe the various entities you've had contact with the more important ones like a snapshot of each one and then part two I want to ask about each of them do they play Do they have a sense of humor? Do they take part in creativity for creativity's sake? 
do they have artwork of their own? Okay, so earliest relationship is with an androgynous Andromedan being. I don't know if they're male or female. I don't even know if that they would identify that way. Um, actually, what I'm hearing now is that they would identify with with they or we. That's been with they've been with me. I, I want to say my whole life, and um, I've seen them here and there in the last ten years. And I feel like their job, their role in my life has been mm, liaison, negotiator. Like I said, like taking me by the hand, like introducing me to a lot of things. I've seen this being like when I'm going to be introduced to another uh, group, maybe that I haven't met before. They have that that role, and then. I also work with what was termed as the Lyran Syrian Council in 2014 or 13. One woman, her name is Avanita. There's another, there's a male, and they, they identify as like Lyran Syrian, like, like both. And that the way that they've described it to me is because the Lyrans um, seeded Sirius or the Lyrans helped to hybridize Sirius. The part of their consciousness comes from the conjunction between both. So there's Avanita and Farananda that I've worked with for a while um, from Lyra, Lyra Sirius and George. George is hilarious. I guess, well, like, what do they look like? So Avanita looks like, I, I thought she was Egyptian. The first time I met her, I was like, are you an Egyptian woman? And by that, I meant like she had very beautiful, coppery, dark, coppery skin. And then like that elongated ancient Egyptian skull with like this braiding and she was like no I'm Lyran Syrian and I had no idea what Lyran Syrian was at the time so Avanita has more of this like humanoid um, look and Farananda looked like a tiki man like Easter Island kind of head he was bipedal he had two he has two arms and two legs but like his head was like really like Easter Island like but the skin it like wasn't stone it was more like clay-like or a clay earth red earth like he was just more of like um an anchor so it's actually like you know makes sense he didn't look like a stone but has like a stone-like energy like very anchoring and then george is a lyran what he he calls himself a lyran commander and he's hilarious he's i would say avanita is more like she's kind of sassy she has like cat-like sassy energy and Far now it's very reserved and like anchoring and grounded, quiet. And then George is hilarious and he tells jokes all the time. <laughs> he is bipedal, uh, two, stands on two legs, has two arms, humanoid in that way. But then his face is like, the way I see him at least, is cat-like. So kind of like a, cre- almost like a creamy lion face and, but without the mane. And he wears like a commander jacket, like a fleet jacket or something. And he's hilarious. I could keep going, but I'm like, I think that those are the, I have had the longest relationships, I think, Mm. with those. To the degree that they do play or create for creativity's sake, or have a sense of humor, artwork. The reason I'm bringing this up is that people do not report creativity or artwork to be a part of alien environments, right? It's not a component in the environments or experiences. Totally. I, yeah, like I cannot say that in all of the numerous experiences, like I don't think I've ever witnessed that. 
George is hilarious. And he like, by hilarious, I mean, he'll, he'll poke jokes at me, not like mean in a mean way, but like, Oh, haha. Like, did you see that? Or isn't this so funny? You saw five, 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 like five times today. And <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it does make me chuckle. But, um, I can't say that I've ever seen artwork or sculpture work or um, them creating. Maybe they do. And I just, that's not something that they share with me, but that would definitely be something for me to reflect on, meditate on, consider and ask about because I've never seen it. As I'm thinking about it, I'm like, is this unique to humans? I don't know. It's really interesting. (laughs) It's one of the motivations behind this podcast. Once you've had contact, if you're an artist, there's a paradox which is contact often seems to exhibit a particular interest in artists, but we don't see art being part of their reality. Are we surrogates for them? I don't have the answer. I'm just living the question along with other artists. Yeah, it feels like, I mean, at least for me and what I've witnessed too and others that are artists and have had contact with, that the art is a medium for those energies to be birthed and to give voice to otherworldly ideas and energies. I feel like, especially with like the light, like light language art, um, it's a, a very easy way to help people to familiarize, familiarize themselves with the frequencies of energies that are not on this planet. Um, in a way that's palpable and easily digestible. You know, it's it's not an, an it's not an energy or a being or an entity just like talking to you, which is another part of another part of your consciousness has to accept something else for that. So I can see the function, a function for art from that way, but I don't see it the other way. Mm-hmm. Like I, I haven't experienced it that way, and that's really interesting. I'm also thinking too to myself again, and this is just perhaps this is just me, but. You know, if we if we are them, and they maybe are a part of our consciousness at a different layer, maybe that maybe the layer of our consciousness that is quote unquote cosmic doesn't need art in the way that we need art. I want to ask you about light languages. Sometimes when we look back in history, looking at, say, for instance, John Dee and Edward Kelly, they spent years channeling these angelic beings, books and books of information in this Enochian language, the language of angels, through scrying, daily. It became their life, really, and it ended badly. It was like a quintessential wild goose chase. Edward Kelly dies of injuries while attempting to escape prison. John Dee ends up losing his library, one of the greatest esoteric collections in Europe. He went broke, and his reputation in shambles. So, There's a danger sometimes in this seductive occult experience of conjuring something from across the veil. We talked about hygiene earlier in our conversation. How do you do this work without getting contaminated by more sketchy and inventive kinds of non-human intelligences? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. So how, how do I do this? I use salt a lot. I need a lot of salt. And I laugh just because I feel like I'm, maybe I'm oversimplifying this, but for me, at least taking a salt bath, taking a, having a salt scrub really neutralizes frequency in my, my field so that I can stay centered and, and keep my energy in my body. Something that I struggled with in the past was not being in my body. 
constantly popping out. Where am I? What realm am I in? Uh, I'm, I'm daydreaming again. Hmm. 10 minutes went by. Do, am I aware of that? And so salt really helps me to stay, stay here um, and, and not just float away. I, I work with flower essences a lot for my own personal practices and I, and I make them for others because for me, taking flower essences helps me to become aware of the um, micro movements happening in my emotional and mental bodies. And that's, that's a huge part of my, my hygiene because what am I aware of and what thought am I having right now? What feeling am I having right now? Why am I having that feeling of like getting to the roots of something? And I work with plants a lot. So flower essences, yes, but even just plant spirits, talking to plants. And I think that's emerging in my work a lot right now, especially over the last uh, year or two. And it's funny because some people who followed my work for a while have been like, well, you were all about aliens and now it's all about plants. And it's like, yeah, there is this divine connection between all of it. I'm, I'm really examining that right now for myself. And that's part, that's part of my energy hygiene, but I think it's also part of what I teach and, and or at least help to share. So salt, working with plants, working with flower essences. I work with breath work a lot, just following the breath. And I, and I take a lot of baths. I'm conscientious of water, but I do, need, I do need water. I need to drink a lot of water. I eat a lot of watermelon. Watermelon is like oh, such a staple in my life. And <laughs> I take a lot of baths. And I think that's part of my own hybridization. I really do. Like serious comes to mind with like, like the aquatic parts of the Sirius star system and the myrrh aspects of my DNA. Like I really need water to function and I live in a desert. So we mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, uh, after we had made contact, you had a mantis entity arrive. It had shared this song, I guess that you recorded and shared with me. And I wonder if you can describe what that experience is like when you receive something like that. And then after that, I'll play the recording of that channeling. Yeah, totally okay to share it. So for me, and this is how it's always gone through my life, is there's an awareness that something has shifted in my field. I, and a lot of times the language has been, I feel weird. And a lot of people will say, huh, I just, I feel funky. I feel weird all of a sudden. Now that I've come to realize like, oh, something's shifting in my field what is that and then paying attention to it so in an experience like this where maybe a, a being is transmitting something to me either they might come into the field or come into the like my bubble or I might feel like I'm streaming kind of like being on the phone with some somebody so there's two different we'll just say that the, there are two different types of experiences I feel like there's others but just for the sake of simplicity right now so let's say that there's an energy that comes in my field I feel oh I feel different and then it's like oh there's a mantis person. I'm seeing it. Usually I'm seeing it like an outline and then the rest of the figure comes in for me or it's like they're coming in a hologram form. So it's like they, I can see through them, but I can see their shape and I can see their face and beings usually, usually speak um, telepathically. And I feel like in that moment when I was receiving that song, it was it didn't come into the space. It was on like almost like on the phone. And I feel that pulsing at the back of my consciousness, at the back of the occipital lobe, um, at that little crux where your brainstem meets the skull, that little divot. I call that the seat of the soul or people call that the seat of the soul. And for me, a lot of my information, like I'll feel something there. Like 
maybe like tingles in my hair or like a pulsing or a heat or something like there's some type of indication I'm like oh yeah then that's happening and that will kind of pull me into a space where I can receive and I feel like that process for myself has been finessed over time it was for a long time like oh I feel weird and I would just stay in that space for hours or days what god (laughs) what so if you get the call and you don't take it it's just on hold in your body yeah it's like I didn't answer so it's like okay well until you look at this Vanessa you might just feel weird like (laughs) and I'm, I'm saying this and I'm kind of laughing because I'm like I feel like for a lot of people, this happens this way. And for a lot of people, it doesn't happen this way. But for me, it, it's like that. If I don't, if I, if something really needs to come in and it's not that it's forceful or it negates my will, like I can, like I said, like I can answer the call or not, but if something really is important, it feels like if it's really pressing, it feels like it just stays in my field. Um, and it, and it feels like an exchange that my higher self has like accepted, like, okay, well, this is going to stay here until you really look at it. Sometimes it goes away, but like, Usually, no, usually it's, it's usually a couple hours if I'm not paying attention, if I'm aware and I'm going, like if I have the space to drop in, then, then it's a little bit more immediate. But like, for example, let's say like I'm on a road trip or something and I'm not, I'm just not in the space to like go into channeling or don't want to, I don't have to, but I'm aware that, okay, well, my field feels like it's shifting. I don't have to hold on to this. Oh, I feel weird, but something has shifted. So anywho, yeah, something has shifted. I feel that. And then it's like, well, what do I want to do with this? And sometimes the answer is, well, write light language codes, like write them out. Um, So I'll go get a journal, go get paper, pens, markers, whatever. Sometimes it's like, oh, I need to record this. This is a song. This is, this is a sound. And it's usually one of the two forms. Sometimes it's bodily movement, but I'm not really much of a dancer in like regular waking life um, and not in channeling life either. But sometimes, sometimes it's like, oh, I need to just move my body. And then, yeah, from that space to just let things flow and see what comes through. Sometimes it's like words, like it's a full message. Sometimes it's beings, like where I can feel like there's a specific consciousness that's speaking, communicating. Like if, it, if they're not in front of me, if they're in front of me, then it's, to me, it's obvious, okay, I'm interacting with an individual consciousness. If I'm like streaming, sometimes it's an entire collective of beings, sometimes it's a singular consciousness. Sorting that out is also part of the process. Like, okay, why do I feel weird? What do I need right now to work with this energy? Sometimes my weirdness is that uh, I'm hungry, right? Like, like any any kind of physiological shift. What do I need? Oh, I'm thirsty. I have to go to the bathroom. I feel like my processing happens in that way. It just includes extra information. So yes, just figuring out what do I need to support this. Then going through like a list of questions, like well, who are you? And I, I really don't feel like I receive things that are tricky anymore. I, and I say this because I'm like, well, I choose to experience beings that uh, work for the highest and best good of all. And it feels like that's mostly what I get now. Mm-hmm. In the past, it's been trickier. And that question has to happen. Like, well, are you a trickster? Are you, what are you here to share with me? What do you need? Can I support that for you? Sometimes I can't. And that like, you know, we have to redirect them elsewhere. So there's just like questions, lots of questions that I ask. How long ago did you stop getting the dodgy kind of energy? I want to say like I was getting a lot of dodgy energy because my field was really open and I, that was like that honeymoon phase. That, that phase really felt like 2013, 2014 and a little bit of 2015 for me. Hmm. It was just really like, oh, okay, okay, I'm working with this. And I think in that time, like 
because I was really figuring out how to work with all of it, it felt very warring, warring energy. And I'm like, I don't want to be at war with my consciousness or any other consciousness. This is not what I'm trying to do here. And I want to step out of a fear-based mindset or fear-based reality. And it really was like working on stepping into, stepping into love. And that shift for me really, really helped because if there is something quote unquote scary or that has like mm, ill intention, they only want love. Every, everything wants love. It's just that the way I describe them is like, well, they're kind of like, they don't know how to get that. They don't know how to ask for that. Similar to perhaps not that two-year-olds throwing tantrums are evil, but like that they, they don't know how to have their needs met. And sometimes they'll just throw the tantrum and we don't go to the child. At least I hope that we don't say, Oh my gosh, you're so evil and terrible. It's let's, let's help you. What do you need? Right. And we try to support them. And that's kind of the the way I look at um, entities that, that appear in that way. Um, And it makes the process so much easier when we can stay in love instead of going into the fear body around what are you? And I need to be at war with you. And I just dropped that. And that's become a lot easier to be of service. Here is the recording of Vanessa Lamorte channeling a mantis being. <laughs> You can learn more about Vanessa at VanessaLamorte.com. From the moment of his birth, Elvis Presley led a stellar and perhaps interstellar life. As he took his first breath, the wind stopped and his home was enveloped in a mesmerizing blue light. From age five, non-human beings and unidentified craft were a part of Elvis's life. For him, paranormal was normal. Purportedly, from that very early age, Elvis's cosmic emissaries told him he was from a planet in the Orion constellation. He claimed that they granted him knowledge of the future. Wanda June Hill recorded conversations with her friend Elvis in which he said to her, quote, I am not of this world. What is me is not from here. I am from out there. You think I'm making this up, but it's true. You'll know that one day. End quote. As an adult, Elvis and his father witnessed a saucer-shaped craft hover over Graceland for five minutes, moving erratically at astonishing speeds, In the 1950s, Elvis and his entourage encountered a cigar-shaped craft in the desert. They thought the craft had killed his bodyguard, Lamar, when it knocked him flat on his face. Lamar was reportedly without a heartbeat and was revived via mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. They reported the incident to a local military base. Elvis and his crew also encountered a saucer in Los Angeles as they left a recording studio. He saw another one over his mansion in Bel Air, and yet another 
in New Mexico in the 1960s with multiple witnesses. After Elvis died, on 13 occasions, flying saucers were reported to be seen over his grave in the year 1978 alone. A security guard at Graceland remarked, quote, All of us who work here have seen UFOs, but we are under strict orders not to talk. Greetings, terrestrial wonder spindles. Stuart here. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, please go to stuartdavis.com and become a patron. Just click on the Patreon button, and in no time at all, I will have all the bail money an artist could want. Creatures, curling claws, yawning jaws.